Hey, it's Lana, and today we're going to be investigating the Lindbergh baby kidnapping case. So let's get into it. So this case quickly became known as the trial of the century back in the 1900s. At about 9 p.m. on March 1, 1932, Charles Augustus Lindbergh Jr., 20-month-year-old son of the famous aviator and Anne Morrow Lindbergh, was kidnapped from the nursery on the second floor of the Lindbergh home near Hopewell, New Jersey. The child's absence was discovered and reported to his parents, who were then at home, at approximately 10 p.m. by the child's nurse, Betty Gow. A search of the premises was immediately made and a ransom note demanding $50,000, which nowadays is about $923,000, was found on the nursery windowsill. After the Hopewell police were notified, the report was telephoned to the New Jersey State Police, who assumed charge of the investigation. Although there were no bloodstains or fingerprints found, there were footprints and traces of mud found. On March 6, Colonel Lindbergh received a second ransom note. This note increased the ransom demand to $70,000. Lindbergh's attorney, Colonel Henry Breckenridge, received the third ransom note two days later, informing that an intermediary appointed by the Lindberghs would not be accepted and requesting a note in a newspaper. Dr. John F. Condon published in the Bronx Home News an offer to act as a go-between and to pay an additional $1,000 ransom. The next day, the fourth ransom note was received by Dr. Condon, which indicated he would be acceptable as a go-between. About to March 10, 1932, Dr. Condon received $70,000 in cash as ransom and immediately started negotiations for payment through newspaper columns using the code name JAFSI. About 8.30 p.m. on March 12th, after receiving an anonymous telephone call, Dr. Condon received the fifth ransom note delivered by Joseph Perone, a taxi cab driver who received it from an unidentified stranger. This note indicated where he would find the next, the sixth note. As the instructions made clear, Condon began meeting with an unidentified man who called himself John. During the next few days, Dr. Condon repeated his advertisements, urging further contact and stating his willingness to pay the ransom. The kidnappers were after Lindbergh's money, not the baby. On March 16th, a baby's sleeping suit as a token of identity and a seventh ransom note were received by Dr. Condon. The eighth ransom note was received by Condon on March 21st, insisting on complete compliance and insinuating that the kidnapping had been planned for a year. Days later, the ninth ransom note was received by Condon, threatening to increase the demand to $100,000 and refusing a code for use in newspaper columns. As we enter into April, the 10th ransom note was received and instructed him to have the money ready the following night, to which Condon replied by an ad in the press. The 11th ransom note was delivered to Condon on April 2, 1932 by an unidentified taxi driver who said he received it from an unknown man. Dr. Condon found the 12th ransom note under a stone in front of a greenhouse in Bronx, New York, as instructed in the previous note. Doing as he was told in the twelfth note, Condon again met with whom he believed to be John to reduce the demand to $50,000. This amount was handed to the stranger in exchange for a receipt in the thirteenth note containing instructions to the effect 
that the kidnapped child could be found on a boat named Nellie near Martha's Vineyard, Massachusetts. The stranger then walked north into the park woods. The following day, an unsuccessful search for the baby was made near Martha's Vineyard. The search was later repeated. On May 12, 1932, the body of the kidnapped baby was accidentally found, partly buried and badly decomposed, about four and a half miles southeast of the Lindbergh home, 45 feet from the highway near Mount Rose, New Jersey, in Mercer County. The discovery was made by William Allen, an assistant on a truck driven by Orville Wilson. The head was crushed, there was a hole in the skull, and some of the body members were missing. The body was positively identified and cremated at Trenton, New Jersey on May 13, 1932. The coroner's examination showed that the child had been dead for about two months and that the death was caused by a blow to the head. So let's turn our focus to the outcome of this case. So during the investigation, gold certificates were highly investigated for months. For the first time in the history of the case, the investigators succeeded in finding that the description of the individual passing these bills fit exactly that of John, as described by Dr. Condon. It was determined through the investigation that the bills were being passed principally at corner produce stores. About 1.20 p.m. on September 18, 1934, the assistant manager at the Corn Exchange Bank and trust company telephoned the New York City Bureau office to advise that a $10 gold certificate had been discovered a few minutes prior by one of the tellers in the bank. It was soon ascertained that this bill had been received at the bank from a gasoline station located at 127th Street and Lexington Avenue, New York City. On September 15, 1934, an alert attendant had received a bill in payment for five gallons of gasoline from a man whose description fit closely that of the individual who had passed other bills in recent weeks. The filling station attendant, being suspicious of the $10 gold certificate, recorded on the bill the license number of the automobile driven by the purchaser. This license number was issued to Bruno Richard Hopman, 1279 East 222nd Street, Bronx, New York. At approximately 9 a.m. on September 19, 1934, an individual closely fitting the description of John was promptly taken into custody by representatives of the three interested agencies. After some investigation, he was found to be Bruno Richard Hopman, the individual to whom the automobile license had been issued, a German carpenter who had been in this country for approximately 11 years. Shortly after his apprehension, specimens of Hopman's handwriting were flown to Washington, D.C., where they were studied in the FBI lab. A comparison of the writing on the ransom notes with that of the specimens to close, remarkable similarities in inconspicuous personal characteristics and writing habits, which resulted in a positive identification by the handwriting experts of the lab. Hopman was indicted in the Supreme Court, Bronx County, New York, on charges of extortion on September 26, 1934, and on October 8, 1934, in Hunterdon County, New Jersey, he was indicted for murder. The trial of Hopman began on January 3, 1935, at Flemington, New Jersey, and lasted five weeks. The case against him was primarily based on circumstantial evidence. The prosecution made their case with three main pieces of evidence. The ransom money, 
the wood found in his home that he used to make the makeshift ladder, and the handwriting samples. When he was arrested, Hauptman also had on him a $20 ransom bill. Hauptman was in possession of a Dodge sedan automobile, which answered the description of that scene in the vicinity of the Lindbergh home the day prior to the kidnapping. Tool marks on the ladder also matched tools owned by Hauptman. And as if that all is not enough, Dr. Condon's telephone number and address were found scrawled on a doorframe inside a closet. On February 13, 1935, the jury returned a verdict. Hauptman was guilty of murder in the first degree. The sentence, death. The defense appealed, and on April 3, 1936, at 8.47 p.m., Bruno Richard Hauptman was electrocuted. And that is basically all we know about this case. To this day, it is still one of the most well-known kidnapping cases. Granted, that could potentially be because of Charles Lindbergh's fame. It is a shame, though, that the headlines were no longer recognizing him for his accomplishments, rather the death of his own son.